mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-Z. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the End Times Continue recording on this, the 2nd of July. Coming up on the 4th of July, I am Dino, and you are? And I am Ace. Man, how's it going today? Oh, pretty good. Not too bad at all. Um, 4th of July is right upon us. It really is, and I enjoy the 4th of July. I know there's a lot of people like with dogs and stuff that hate it, but <laughs> but I find it fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's an excuse to eat food, to indulge, you know. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there's <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had to slip that. That's <laughs> God damn it. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that. That relates to something that, that happened. Yeah, on the yeah, website. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. Yeah, we, we don't need to. Yeah, um, inside so, joke. If you yeah, know, you know. If you know, if you were there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So uh, near the end of the last episode, we promised that we would play a clip. Mm-hmm. And this was a clip that you had mentioned of Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's mind breaking in response to a yes. question from Brett Bayer regarding yep. uh, a particular policy of Donald Trump's. Yes. Yep. So uh, let's just jump right in and listen to that because it's one of the funniest clips <laughs> yeah. of, of Donald Trump I've let's ever seen. Focused on nonviolent crime. As an example, a woman who you know very well was in jail. She had 24 more years to. Serve. She served for 22 years. She had Alice Johnson. Alice. She was in the Super Bowl. High quality. Oh, yeah. I said, how many years? And she was on a telephone call, and they were involved in selling marijuana, mostly marijuana. And she got, like, 50 years in jail. But she'd be killed under your plan. Huh? As a drug dealer. <laughs> no, no, no. Under my... Oh, under that? Uh, it would depend on the severity. It Here would depend on the severity. Ad, she's technically a former drug dealer. She the she had multi-million dollar cocaine ring. Any said, drug dealer... Look. So even it, Alice Johnson in that ad? She can't do it, okay? By the way, if that was there... No, she wouldn't be killed. It would start as of now, so you wouldn't go to the past. No, I know, but your policy... No, no, no. <laughs> I'm starting now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, start, starting starting now. Yeah, starting now she would be, but but not then. Yeah, being a drug dealer, you know, you have to understand, Ace. Look, this is a complicated issue. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you have to understand that 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 being a drug dealer is worthy of death, not fifty years in prison. You see, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to get the difference between those two things. See, fifty years in prison versus death. That's just inhumane. Yeah, that's right. just inhumane. Exactly. Yeah, that's, just, that's cruel. And then if yeah. you kill them, you don't have yeah. to keep them in a cage for fifty years. Exactly. Yeah. In some ways, you're freeing them from prison. Yes. Exactly. See, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Trump is yeah. Trump is a pro freedom candidate. Yes. Because yeah. he doesn't want to put people in prison. 
He's, he, he even goes a step farther than most freedom advocates, and he's willing to free you from your mortal coil. Yes, exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Trump is the most freedom president. Yes, exactly. He will... <laughs> He will, uh, he will separate you from the yes. the the absurdity of the universe by ending your connection yeah. to it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have problems if there's no people to have problems for. Exactly. So it's just, it, it just you know it just makes sense. I think I think it's an excellent policy proposal, and I support yeah. it wholeheartedly. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I'm glad, I'm glad we went and grabbed that because that is one of the funniest. He just starts stammering. Is like, no, no. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, no. He gets, pa- yeah. he gets caught up and paused. Like he pauses for a moment. He's like, oh, <laughs> as if the realization first hits him, uh, for the first time. Right. Right. It's like, you can't play both sides of the ball that deep, dude. You have right. to, yeah. you got to pick a side on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's also just like as you're saying, right? The absurdity of well, you know how inhumane it is, and we, you know, I think we both agree it is inhumane to have you know a, a drug dealer. In Absolutely. Um, but uh, but and and his policy is well, but you know we could execute them though. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's well. You know, that's all you need to be a pro freedom candidate is say you don't want to put people in prison. Right. The other side of it that you want to kill them instead is not really a uh, not really a consideration. Right. I don't think exactly. Yeah, seems like a non-issue to me. I mean, yeah. really. I mean, I mean, you and I are anti-carcerists, right? So we should be all for this right. policy. Well, exactly. Yeah, they're not in prison. So <laughs> it, you know, yeah, it, it checks that box. Yeah, exactly. It checks the it checks the the, the anti-carcerist box. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it reminds me of the uh, the Sam Hyde TED talk where he's just like, "And we're just gonna kill him." Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good clip. I really yeah. like that. Um, so. Have you run into the rate limit yet? Uh, I did very quickly yesterday. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. So, um a site which functions on the theory that if you engage with content over a long period of time, you will uh see advertisements which will then drive <laughs> revenue for the company. A site which focuses on that premise much like YouTube for example, you engage with content mm-hmm. You sit there and you and you allow YouTube videos to autoplay, fall asleep watching YouTube, and there's a lot of ads that you're just going to sleep through, and YouTube yep. still gets that money, and the creator still gets their payout from all that. Um, you know, those kinds of systems that are, that are based on... I, you know what I think it is? The ad-supported model has so harmed the internet that I think websites are deciding now to just be dumb and unprofitable instead. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, imagine if YouTube just made it so that you were locked out of watching anything after like four videos a day. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. YouTube rate limits you so that you can only watch an hour of content a day. And yeah. not only does that kill the four hour game review meta. Yeah. But it also uh causes the service to die because there's no revenue to be had. We we of course are referring here to Elon Musk's theory that um yeah. if you rate limit the number of 
tweets that people can see in a given period of time, uh, you have a better website? Right, yeah. Like, I wonder what the advertisers thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) Does he expect to be profitable off Blue alone? Oh, man. I I don't... How could he? I I don't know. Here's the thing, too. Why are we saying he? He's not in charge of the company anymore, is he? Uh, did he fully step down? I, I he thought he, he handed to. it over to that woman. I, that, I don't know. Name I, and so I, totally I don't know if he went through yet or not. It might not have. It might not have. Maybe not. Maybe it did. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, but, I, yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it, it may, it may not have. Um, I, I, I just, though, I'm not sure. It's just like whoever made that decision, like that has to be one of the biggest, like, and then look, he said it's temporary. So, you know, okay, sure. But still, that has to be one of the worst, like, business decisions when your site is built mainly off of advertisement revenue uh, to yes. cut people's connection to the advertisement. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, it's the dumbest thing on the planet. The, the more you scroll, the yeah. more ads you see. The more ads you see, the more views yeah. and engagement those ads get. Right. The more views and, and right, engagement those world. ads get, the more money Twitter can sell ad space for. Right. And and right after Elon took over, like you saw a lot more promoted tweets, a lot more, a oh, lot yeah. more advertisements everywhere. And so this is really like just going the opposite direction now. Uh, it's going the opposite is, direction of an ad-supported model. Right, right. <laughs> you want high engagement in an ad-supported you know, model. Like, even and also, you know, even the subscription, even getting blue. Only but like gives you like it, it it increases by ten times, but given like how many like like tweets you'd see in in a time span, that's not a huge amount. Like it goes from six hundred to six thousand. Yeah, even people with blue are rate limited. It's not like blue gives you yeah. un- unlimited access to Twitter. Right, right. What so it's like, like, like the, the the value add for Twitter blue. The reason to give Elon Musk eight dollars at this point is longer tweets, which nobody reads. Mm-hmm. Editing yeah. your tweets, which makes them gray on the timeline, and if you're in dark mode, you can't read them. <laughs> like this is that's one of the things that that pisses me off about that too. You can't read an edited tweet on the timeline gets passed over. Why? Because it's not white on a black background. It's it's gray. It's like a mid gray. It doesn't half the time if you're if you're doom scrolling, you won't even see an edited tweet. It will not register right. to your brain because it's not formatted like a tweet. It's gray. Right. <laughs> so that's not really a value add either. Um again, the long tweets that nobody fucking reads. Um right. again, and here's the thing too, that was a solved problem. With posting a screenshot of your notepad, that that was not I, right. Exactly, I, I don't understand. Um, and, and the also, fact that the restri- Twitter, I thought, I no, felt sorry, the, the character restriction made it more valuable because it, it forced people to be more pithy in their responses. Yes, their yes, yeah. It doesn't allow people who, frankly, are not um, are are not capable of of sort of condensing everything is distilling everything down being brief you know what i mean it kind of prevented Mm -hmm, them from clogging up the timeline and that's gone you can just pay eight bucks to clog up the timeline and then on top of all of that twitter will slightly kind of unbreak the website if you pay them (laughs) right (laughs) 
yeah, that's my thing too, right? Is that a lot of these things, like it, you subscribe and then you have like, like Twitter as it was, I guess, in some sense, or a lot of, and there's some new features, obviously. But for a lot of things, it's like, yeah, we were already getting a lot of this for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like you're just imposing restrictions on the free You model. cannot start taking away that which was free, especially when right. you run a website that is dependent <laughs> upon a community to add value to it. Reddit just right. learned this. And do I think Reddit's going to go down because of the API stuff? I really don't. I think Reddit's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But the community has taken a massive hit. The value of Reddit, I think, is now worse than it was before, mm-hmm. at least for Redditors, right? The value right. of Reddit, to me, was the five-year-old uh, troubleshooting threads for networking <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the value of Reddit to me. But the value of Reddit to Redditors, to its actual community of users, is, is something very different and has been harmed. By that API mm-hmm. thing. And so how that's going to shake out, nobody knows. But this kind of thing, Twitter is dependent upon doom scrollers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can't doom scroll on Twitter, Twitter has no value. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, it's such an insane decision to me that it's like, yeah, as we were saying, it's like YouTube, but you can't really watch any videos. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're so limited. Uh, it's just an insane, insane strategy. To it's exactly that. It would be like YouTube placing a cap on how many hours a day you can watch YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Which kills that business. Like, the, there's a reason that these yeah. long video metas are are that the long video sort of the comment the long com. There's a reason the commentary meta came about in the first place, and there's a mm-hmm. reason that really long form content is doing so well on YouTube. And part of that reason is because you can have an ad break every five minutes. Right. Or every ten minutes. And you can get, like, you can really, especially if you make good content in that long-form way, people are out here making feature-length YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. Hour and a half long videos. There's a Skyrim, there is a Skyrim review retrospective series that is something like nine hours long. Right. And then you can add them into segments, which sort of act like paragraphs for, for text, right? Exactly. So like each, you can clearly see when the next part is. Yeah. Yeah. And then YouTube comes along and says, oh, no, you can only watch ha- uh, an hour of content a day. <laughs> are you kidding? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Twitter's got the same problem. Yeah. Doom scrollers are Twitter's value. Mm-hmm. That's where your ad engagement comes from. That's where that little view counter on a promoted tweet was the best decision Elon made at Twitter. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't have to dig into analytics. You could actively see the value of a promoted tweet Mm -hmm. just by looking at it. As a Twitter user, you could see the value of promoting a tweet just by looking at it. The view counter was genius. Absolutely Mm -hmm. genius. And this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, which means I'm actually partial to some of the conspiracy theories around it. Have you heard some of the reasons that people think that this is happening and it's not because Elon Musk thinks that rate limiting is a good idea? I well, I I haven't heard about them explicitly, but I've heard about theories like, well, he's actually trying to take Twitter down. Uh, in some cases, like legitimately, but I don't know about any of the series. Well, here's the thing. If he took Twitter down, it's just a massive write off to him. Right. I, right. I think he's I, I, I think he would survive that financially. 
So it's it's one of those things that uh, that's a possibility. If he doesn't like the asset and he just wants to kill it, um, that's a possibility. Uh, but the 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 reason that they are saying this happened was for kind of the same reason that they blocked public access to the website, which is another fucking problem. Um, blocking public access to the website, you have to make an account to see the content. Oh, I heard about that. That's insane. That happened the yeah. day before the rate limiting thing happened. I used to look. I used to look at the site before I even had an account. So that is insane. Yeah, well, it was a useful way to get around a block if you wanted to see how somebody had responded. If somebody had responded to you from behind a block, it was an easy way to get around the block and see. Um, now you have to have an alt account to do that. Now, I've, I've had an alt account to do that for a while, but, but that's beside the point. Um, now, it's a pain in the ass, basically, for anyone who has just one account. The other, the other thing that was useful for was um, things like embedding. Mm-hmm. Like public tweet embeds and shit like that. The the other issue that you run into with this is, I think I like the idea. I don't think it's true. I, I I will say this: I'm not all in on this being the true fact of the matter, but I think it's hilarious if it is. And that is this: the change to the website that closed off access to the public also caused a situation whereby the Twitter web app is DDoSing Twitter. <laughs> oh! Oh my god, that is a great theory. There was a guy who posted about it. Um, it, it this is from Paul Tassi's story on the issue. Um, uh, there are two main theories for what's going on here. One involves, this is at Forbes, by the way, one involves the possibility that Elon's big move before this, the new inability to view Twitter when not logged in, created some sort of technical spiral where Twitter is now effectively DDoSing itself based on how these changes were made. The limitation has nothing to do with scraping and everything to do with trying to keep the site together while this is addressed, according to Sheldon Chang on Mastodon. And this is a guy who was looking at the calls that his browser were making to Twitter servers, and it was making a fresh call like every couple of seconds. Oh, my God. Like it was it, 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 his browser just being on Twitter. His browser was hammering Twitter. So I, I think that I like that idea. I do. I really do. I yeah. think that's that very honestly, funny. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me than like data scrappers, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people who scrape Twitter for, of course, this, you know, causes an increased data transmission cost to Twitter. Mm -hmm. And this causes, I mean, this does cause issues. Sure. Data scrapers are, are, are parasitic on the platform. Um, but it's a cost that you should be able to absorb. Right. <laughs> and here's one of the reasons you should be able to absorb it. Because every fucking website on the internet absorbs it. Because that's all Google right. does. Right. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, right. <laughs> like, I've never seen this from any other, like, you know, company like this. Right. Data scraping is one of those things that like, yeah, you can you can say there's a there's a that it causes too much too much change to your overhead that it becomes untenable to allow data scraping scraping to happen. And therefore, you have to be logged in to see things. If I recall correctly, I think this might be one of the reasons Instagram did it. But I dis I actually they might have said that was one of the reasons. I think the main reason Instagram did it was to drive account creation, um, mm -hmm. which I think is also the reason Twitter 
locked public access to the website. I, I think I think Twitter wants to drive account creation. I, I don't think they care about data scrapers. And they certainly don't care about scrapers. Therefore, they would rate limit real users on their site. <laughs> right. You make an account with us. Oh, also, <laughs> I have, we have a surprise for you. Exactly. Um, this, 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 uh, this continues from the story. The second theory has to do with Musk in an effort to cut costs, refusing to pay his bills to places like Amazon or Google who provide essential services for Twitter. These issues suspiciously correspond with past reporting uh, in this area, though follow-ups indicate that Musk eventually at least paid the Google bill. Uh, the more likely option is the former, it seems, about the logged-out viewing change badly messing things up. I think that's more likely. I think Twitter probably pays its web hosting bills. You would hope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, how are you going to run a website if you don't pay your hosting bill? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that, the, the, the idea that they didn't pay their, their, their bill for, uh, for hosting and, and for, um, bandwidth, I I don't buy that. I think that's probably not the case, Mm -hmm. but, um, this idea that changing the website so that you must be logged in to view it causes a, a situation whereby the website itself starts hammering the servers. Right. Especially if it's constantly checking for credentials. Uh huh. Right. Right. Like I could see that happening very easily. Yeah. That. That. Honestly, when you said that, that like kind of blew my mind. So I'm like, oh, that actually would line up. That would line up with a lot of things. They They go in one day and they say, okay, we're gonna make Twitter where it's not publicly viewable anymore, like Instagram is, which I think actually isn't a big deal. I, I think it's a it's a pain in the ass. But just like that, well, Instagram I, I already think did it. it. Is, I think it is in the sense that for a lot of people, that was where they got their news from, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. even if they didn't have an account, someone could easily, like, find quick news immediately. Um, so I do think it's a harm there. I don't think it's the biggest harm, but I do think, like, that, in for that reason, it's harmful. Uh, that's another thing that I, I think you're probably right. Um, it also kills apps like Knitter that mm-hmm. are that are designed to scrape the public facing Twitter and and sort of build your feed in the app by just scraping accounts that you've chosen to follow in the app. Right. Mm-hmm. So it kills apps like that. Um, which is, you know, it is what it is. Right. But. And so I agree with you. I, I think it's a. I think it's. I think it's problematic for Twitter because I think more than locking off content, I still haven't made another Instagram account. Right. Well, because I'm not logged in. It's like, you know, the reason. Like, I, I feel like may and I could be completely wrong on this. You know, maybe I, I'm just completely wrong on the business sense side of this. But it would seem that people being able to at least see it not interact but see it might help incentivize account creation more well Um, i mean why would you go to twitter if not to see content from people you want to follow right so it it makes sense to me that that allowing public access to twitter and allowing people to share tweets off-site is something that would drive traffic to your site and help uh, boost account creation because the only right. thing that's valuable on your site is the people who are writing tweets. Right. If everything is locked off, then there's a lot of people who would never like like find you know uh, accounts they like. 
Right. And then never be incentivized to even make one. Exactly. And maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe Instagram has data that proves this wrong. Maybe the Instagram thing. It it could be just counterintuitive to us, but nevertheless correct. That's possible. Right. And and so I'm, I'm open to being corrected on that, but my initial sort of just thinking about it response is that doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I like this theory that changing the site caused the web app to DDoS Twitter. Yeah, I do. Too. I think it's that's the most, very funny. It's the funniest. It's the funniest one. And therefore I want to believe it. The most. Yes, exactly. That is exactly right. Um, Jesus, I, I really hope that's what it is, because, God, that's that is just clown world exemplified. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this also caused another problem for a little place called Blue Sky. Oh, yes. <laughs> Once a small haven for shit posters to make fun of SJWs for wanting uh, centralized moderation. Um, once a, a small hub of the most, uh, raucous and, and, um, and, uh, well, let, let's just say, <laughs> let's just say there's a good size of a community on Blue Sky who are what you might call, uh, um, malcontents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's very fun to be there. Uh, yes, and our our the small haven to which I'm I'm ever thankful for the invite code to you. Um, <laughs> the small haven that we had is being inundated with fucking Twitter users. Yeah, the normies are coming. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so Blue Sky, people were asking for invite codes and stuff like that, which is fine. There are many friends who who uh, who. People were asking for invite codes and stuff, and I and, and, and Lady Jane, or I hadn't seen the tweets. I haven't been on Twitter in a couple of days. But Lady Jane certainly sent a couple of codes to some people that we like, um, the, the codes that she had anyway. And they discovered rather quickly that Blue Sky has shut down account creation. <laughs> At least on the main instance. Um <laughs> I, I guess you could still deploy it on your own. Is is Blue Sky there? Can can you deploy Blue Sky on your own? Um, I think so. It might be there. I I, I haven't looked into it enough, frankly. I, I've I'm the federated nature of it. To I can't me, remember. I, I don't haven't know done if it's there right now, it. or if it plan, or if it's going to be there because I know it's one of the promised things they said. Right. I think I've seen people though with. I mean, but you can also set up your own. Uh, your own custom top level domain, even if your yes. account is on the primary instance. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, they, yeah, you can't make a new blue sky account because there were too many people jumping ship from Twitter, <laughs> which is a good problem to have. If you're blue sky, I mean, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> part of what's made people um, want to be there is the exclusivity. Right. From what I've seen, like it would, they had an insane spike of people trying to join an absolutely insane number. Uh, so it was, it was quite funny to watch like, you know, from the sidelines of what right. was going on. And yeah. And also, you know, just some, some of the ways that, you know, I like manage my account like on, on Twitter. It, it's, it's very much like, um, I get rate limited immediately. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'm sure. So it's like, all right, well, 
Okay. You know, whatever happens. I guess happens, you don't want me here. Is right. the way is the way it comes off. Uh-huh. I haven't been, like I said, I haven't been on Twitter in a couple of days, so I actually haven't been rate limited yet. I can still see Twitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. You people. I'm sorry this is happening to you. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, but here's the thing, what it has made me do, I posted a thread today about um, some of these Supreme Court cases, and the other day about some of these Supreme Court cases, one of the things it had made me do is start dual posting, because um, I wasn't going to mess with posting those threads on Blue Sky, but, but it's made me start dual posting, um, it's made me start moving content over to Blue Sky, because I know there's fewer mm-hmm. people there to see it on Twitter. Right. And as much as, as much as I don't mind having a small account, I used to have a larger account than I have now. Frankly, my experience is not appreciably better or worse having a smaller account now with just a couple hundred followers. But um, also, I'm not going to shout into the fucking void where the people who I actually know at least can't even see it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no real right, purpose. Right, exactly. Because it's like, well, it, you know, even if you want to just to post like, you know, a few like loyal followers or something like that, right? Um, mutuals and stuff like that. It's like, well, I don't even know if they're going to see it now because who knows if they're right. <laughs> people who we <laughs> like, guests who have been on the show, people who have interacted with the show, people who you and I both have met at Childerberg. Mm-hmm. Can't, we can't communicate on that website anymore. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, well, what's the fucking point of it? Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, for me, even though I'm not rate limited, I can't trust that everyone else isn't. Right, exactly. So not, you know, before you had to worry about, like, the algorithm, like, just, you know, uh, not, you know, catching your tweet or something like Right, that. right. Uh, and now you, you kind of still have to worry about that, plus the rate limit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there are many people who, who you and I m- both know who have been rate limited mm-hmm. that, that they're some of my favorite people to talk to on the website. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what do I, what do I fucking care about this website anymore? I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand why blue sky like locked a, account creation off, but I hope they open it just like, <laughs> so, you know, we can evacuate some of the people, uh, over yes. to there. Yes, I agree that or, or, or they get some more instances going and people can actually start deploying it themselves. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think they're there yet. And I say that primarily mm-hmm. because I haven't seen any conversation about deploying it. And I think I would mm-hmm. have seen people talking about deploying it if it were capable right. of being deployed right now. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I, I don't think it's there. So, so I mean, <sighs> they need to get there quickly if they're mm-hmm. going to. And here's the thing too. This is the thing about blue sky though. That we have to remember. Blue Sky doesn't have a profit motive. Right. Yep. Blue Sky is a public interest corporation. Mm-hmm. And so they are, as far as I understand, their profit motive is greatly reduced. Based on the, 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 just what it means to be a public interest corporation. You're not there to make shareholders rich necessarily. That's a nice side benefit if you can make it happen. But a public interest corporation is there to serve a need right and yeah, so th- yeah. that way they can tell their short shareholders if you know um, i don't know how it's exactly structured but they can tell their shareholders that say hey yeah we might have lost money but we promoted some type of social good yes exactly this is something that we're doing for 
for the a general good as opposed to just making you guys rich. And if you invest in it, right. it's because you believe in the general good and not necessarily because you want to get rich. Right, right. So, so it makes sense, right? It also mm-hmm. makes sense that they would grow slowly. And that when people were getting an influx of users, that they wouldn't say, we'll take all of you, bring us your huddled masses. That they would say more right. like, uh, no, 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 slow down. Our servers can't take right. it. We're not about to deal with the moderation crisis this is going to cause. Fucking, uh-huh. no, stay home. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, well, if you, if you go to Blue Sky just wanting to be like Twitter, then you're on there for the wrong reason, right? Yes. This is an argument that was happening on Blue Sky recently. There have yes, been a, it was. A, there's been an influx of users who want centralized moderation on Blue Sky as if the onboarding process doesn't make you very clear to you that it is your job to moderate your feed. Right. Your job. You as the user yeah. have all the power to moderate your feed. Stop begging for someone to tell you what you can and cannot read. Right. To do so is to misunderstand the point of the platform. <laughs> right. Well, not even the platform. I, I actually, I, I like the people who call it a protocol, much like people did with the Fediverse, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yeah. I, I like it. I like it being referred to more as a protocol. But mm-hmm. but that's the thing is um, it, it, people go on there begging for centralized moderation and it's like you, you don't get it. You don't get it. Right. Um, and that was a, that was actually kind of frustrating. <laughs> and here's the thing. I haven't felt being frustrated on Blue Sky before that happened. <laughs> and so that's a sign to me is becoming more like Twitter and I'm not happy with that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I think the users are trying to make it more uh, like Twitter, you know, but I, I think the developers are still very much like, no, we're we're still planning on doing our own thing. You know? Exactly. Uh, well, the thing, too, is that Jack, people think of Jack like old boss back when Twitter was good. And right. people forget that people accuse Jack of being a Nazi all the goddamn time because the moderation practices while Jack was in charge, like actually in charge. Um, mm-hmm. were way more lax than when he started hiring on people who answered questions for him on Joe Rogan and put words in his mouth. And when he, when then he eventually stepped away from the company altogether. Um, like it was the, the moderation practices on Twitter used to be way more lax. And I think people forget that. Yeah. And so the, this is a, this is the, uh, I, people, people, people think that Jack is going to give them back the centralized moderation they crave. Right. It, yeah. I, I've seen that discussion, too. It's like, well, no, I, some people are like, well, no, we just we do want centralized moderation. It's like th- you're just starting the process all over again. Yeah, <laughs> like you're just <laughs> you're in the wrong place. You have all the power you deserve. And that it, is it, you the power to control your argument. Right. You can make a very analogous argument many arguments that like libertarians make about like politics right is that well you don't really want a central authority because even though you may like the guy in charge now wait for a little bit and then the other guy's going to come in charge and he's going to have that centralized moderation authority exactly let other people you don't like it uh so it's better if you just have control yourself that's exactly right that's exactly right so yeah i think i don't know if elon's trying to burn the site down it's possible I don't, I don't know yeah, if you... I think uh, the incompetence part is actually funnier to me, so I think that's... I'm going to yeah, go with that. It's my head. That's where now. I am, actually. I think I think it is to a certain extent incompetence. I think... Because yeah. here's the thing. The dude fired a bunch of fucking engineers. 
Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so while I while I think it's probably a good idea for a company like Twitter to downsize from where they were, because frankly, tech spending is just ridiculous. And running a tech business, like the way that these people spend money is uh-huh. stupid and contrary to everything that everybody knows yeah. about business and profitability. So mm-hmm. I understand downsizing the business as soon as you take it over because you don't like the way it's run. It makes perfect sense to me. Firing right. all the engineers is a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you have what probably at the very least three mobile apps, probably closer to four mobile apps, right? Because you have mm-hmm. you're gonna have tablet versions of at least the iPad and iPhone app, right? You're gonna have at least right. two apps there. And then you're gonna have an Android app that I think has tablet mode in it. I don't think Twitter for tablets is a special is a separate app. But you're going to have that in there, basically. You have to develop the tablet side and the mobile side. And then you have to develop your web app. And that web app has to be functional with, at this point, mainly Chromium-based browsers. But there are some odd browsers Mm -hmm. out there. That's just in the U.S. If you're going to go overseas, (laughs) let's say you're going to go to China. Well, I mean... Ooh, let's say you're going to go to South Korea, right? There's phones there that run on Tizen. It's a totally different operating system from Android. Mm-hmm. Like you get, you have a stable of de- of of uh, software that needs constant development, and you're going to get rid of all your yeah. engineers. That just seems like a right. bad idea. <laughs> yeah, that just, that just seems like a terrible, terrible plan, especially when you also intend to roll out features like uh, right. e-commerce for Twitter Blue. <laughs> That's not easy. <laughs> so yeah i i just don't i i just i i i like i think incompetence is the the issue here <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's also the, the funniest choice of all of them so it's like well yeah that's that's the one i'm for yeah absolutely and i'm not surprised by it either this is a guy i mean here's yeah. the thing first of all this is a guy who's in the hardware business right this is a guy who Tesla's right. a hardware company, not a software company yeah and there's a lot of software involved with tesla but they make cars um, right. <laughs> the same is true of SpaceX. They make rockets and, and right. they take contracts to send satellites into space. And the same is true of the, uh, and there's a lot of software involved with that. I'm not saying there's no software at all. I, and there's also yeah, like, I've seen some people like defend Elon by, by appealing to, well, Elon is obviously smart, so he knows what he's doing, but those two things aren't necessarily connected. No. Like, you can be a very smart person and be absolutely out of your depth in whatever you're doing. Uh, Elon has never had to build a system like Twitter ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think people underestimate how complicated a system like Twitter is. I mean, this is not mm-hmm. only do you have a stable of applications and, and web apps and things like that that you need to be able to constantly develop, but you also have um, networking issues. You have to figure out how to get this mm-hmm. content onto every screen of every user reliably. Right. That's not easy. It's not the same as building software that's going to run on a car's internal computer. It's just not the right, same. Right, right. Yep. And so I, I, I just, uh, and especially when you consider, look, he hasn't really, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I think Tesla, is Tesla profitable now? Um, I actually don't know. I haven't looked at their, like, earnings report at all in, like, a year. It, I know that they weren't for a very long time, and they were basically surviving mm-hmm. on tax breaks and write-offs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't have to be profitable because the system was basically rigged to make sure they could stay open. Right. Um, and that's, and so I, I'm not sure. I don't know what kind of grasp Elon Musk has on the concept of profitability. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. I, that, I was, yeah. Right. I'm not sure he's, he's familiar with the idea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> that you have to fucking make money. <laughs> right, and maybe making it so your advert, there, you know, the advertisers want to flee your site. Maybe that's not the best, uh, you know, way to do it. Uh, exactly, exactly. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if his plan at this point is kill it, gut it, make something else. Right. That that's that is. That seems possible at this point, but mm-hmm. I don't right. think so. I, I, I think the, uh, the ignorance idea is the better argument. I, I, think, I think that's more likely, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just um, thought that was really interesting because it's, it's kind of fascinating to see stuff like that go down and the conversations that happen around it. Oh, you just I, sent something in topics. Something in yes. Oh my god. I hadn't seen this. <laughs> so, you would you like to read the title of this thing? Yes, I would love to. Um, I would like nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tweet. It's a story from the New York Post. <laughs> Hunter, Hunter Biden filmed himself. Smoking crack behind the wheel, driving at 172 miles per hour on the way to Vegas. (laughs) Where the fuck did this come from? (laughs) From the story you posted. Hunter Biden apparently filmed himself smoking crack behind the wheel of a car in 2018, the same year he took a picture of himself driving 172 miles per hour in a Porsche, according to thousands of newly uploaded photos from the first son's abandoned laptop. Okay, so this comes from the laptop leaks. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) Biden 53 is seen flashing what looks like a crack pipe and smoking it while driving through a residential neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia on June 12, 2018, according to the photos uploaded by Marco Polo, a nonprofit firm headed by former Donald Trump aide Garrett Ziegler. Less than two months later, he was seen racing to Las Vegas on August 1st when he took a snap of the car's dashboard, revealing he was going at least 172 miles an hour. (laughs) Okay, so these weren't uploaded at the same time. And these are, in fact, different vehicles. Right, but but both things did happen individually. He posted a picture of himself with a crack pipe. (laughs) To be fair, I would not be surprised if he was not on if he was on crack. Oh, it it seems like this guy was always on crack. Yes. (laughs) Oh my god. The two, while the two incidents didn't end in accidents, Biden was not so lucky in the past with his 2021 memoir, Beautiful Things, recounting one such case. The Sun wrote that on October 27, 2016, he nodded off behind the wheel while high and driving on a highway outside of Palm Springs, California. 
Quote, waking up an instant later, I found myself in midair, the car having jumped a soft curb on the passing lane and soaring at 80 miles an hour into a... I don't believe you were going 80 miles an hour. Into a cloudless blue sky, heading into the gulfs that divided I-10, he wrote. I don't believe for a second he was going 80 miles an hour. No. <laughs> to launch that car like that? Look, 80 miles an hour yeah, is fast, in, and you can launch a car, if but... you're in the air. Yeah, if you're in the air, you're... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, for a guy, this is a guy that apparently drives 172 miles an hour on, on right. tarmac, like, yeah. come on, bud, you're on the interstate and you expect me to go, to believe you're going 80? Right. Come on, man. Everything that comes out about uh, him personally is just like, you know, uh, in, insane, like next level, just topping one. God, you know, he, he lives a, a certain kind of lifestyle. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of guys out there who love fast cars and love driving fast, right? And, and, yeah. and oh, I yeah. appreciate a guy like that. There's a lot of guys out there who like smoking crack. I appreciate those guys slightly less. Rarely do you have both. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it is funnier because it, it's the president's son. So that does, you know, yes, that exactly. layer, that extra layer adds to it. Yes, there are very few president's sons who uh, who like to smoke crack and drive incredibly fast, right. probably at the right. same time. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am, I am, I'm blown away by this. I hadn't seen this. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh. oh, um, this might actually segue into something we're about to talk about, but is that is um is his case remember he was act, actually advocating that it was like unconstitutional to like was it remove his gun rights for uh or what was it? He was he there was some two A case he was making. Okay. So um, this is what happened with that. Um, that charge in particular got dropped in exchange for a deal. Oh, so it's not going to go as uh, I recall. Yes. So, so his defense team is not going to get to make that wonderful argument, which I actually think is a wonderful argument and should be made that Mm -hmm. a, a person who, uh, a person should not be, um, the argument is a person should not have to give up their second amendment rights because of the, just because they committed a felony. Right. Yes. Yeah. And this is important because it is a felony to lie on the application for a firearm to, to, to register to buy a firearm. It is uh, illegal to lie on that form. And one of the questions on that form is whether or not you use illegal drugs. <laughs> so, right. so you have people who are users of marijuana, for example, or in Hunter Biden's case, crack, who uh, uh, even if they're not convicted of a felony, right? They're committing a felony and acquiring a firearm, and they can lose their Second Amendment rights for that reason. Mm-hmm. And they would lose their Second Amendment rights anyway if they were convicted of the felony in the first place. Right. And so this is a, this is a major, major problem with the Second Amendment, the way it's been uh, – the way that – not with the Second Amendment. It's a problem with the way that the general understanding of a felony has been. Because, like, a felony used to mean something. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you had a felony on your record, that used to matter. It used to mean that you did something that we think of traditionally as felonies, but nowadays everything's a felony. I right. mean, you, you can you can commit a felony just for anything practically these days. So, 
the idea that that a person who committed a felony must lose their firearms privileges or rights is a uh, is antiquated, especially considering how felonies work now. Um, I wish it had not been dropped because if imagine yeah. if he got that to the Supreme Court or something, and then they ruled that is oh yeah that is unconstitutional or yeah. something. Uh, that would have been one of the funniest things to ever happen in American history. Yes, it really would <laughs> have. Hunter Biden. And here's yeah. the thing: <clears throat> at least one justice, sitting justice on the Supreme Court right now, agrees with that line of thinking. At least one mm-hmm. Supreme Court justice, Amy Coney Barrett, when she was at the circuit, she wrote a, uh, a actually a really good, uh, I think it was a dissent in a case where she argued that a guy who committed mail fraud should not lose his Second Amendment rights because he committed mail right. fraud. It wasn't a violent crime. Uh huh. So this is this is something that we know Amy Coney Barrett supports. So they're they're, I mean, there's a shot <laughs> for that argument. Right. <laughs> So I find it, I, I just, it, it would have been hilarious for Hunter Biden's defense team to actually make that argument. That would have been. Yeah. Strengthen the Second Amendment. We have Hunter Biden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not the, not the hero, not the hero we deserved. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but no, I believe that charge was dropped, unfortunately. Aw. Well, fortunately for him, but unfortunately for. Yeah, unfortunately for him, but. <laughs> And yes, you're right. It does kind of segue into something we were going to talk about. So how much have you seen about these three Supreme Court decisions that came down at the end of the term? Only this last week posted pretty much. OK, OK, that's good. That's good, because um, well, no, I, just say, I haven't seen all, all of the things you posted, but like your initial summary. Um, sure. I saw. Sure. Um, yeah, well, that's 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 good, because the the general sort of way that these things are being um I was about to say red, but nobody's fucking reading them. People are just responding to the outcome emotionally rather than actually reading the legal analysis behind the outcomes mm-hmm. and, and actually understanding the cases and what they were about. Um, and so which one, I'll just ask you, which one do you want to hit first? <laughs> Ooh, um, hmm. Because there's the, the, the I, options. I one, these are the, the one that is caused the most stir. Uh, is probably the affirmative action one. That's okay. one. That's the one I think has caused the most stir. Okay. All right. Um, that one is interesting. No, not, that I, not that I think that personally necessarily, but just that in, in general, yes, yes. like people seem to be. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that's the one that people responded to with the most sort of uh, outrage. Um, I think that's correct. So the, the affirmative action case is an interesting one. This is a. Uh, this is a so affirmative action is part of the precedent that the Supreme Court has carried forward uh, since the 19, I believe it was the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. I can't quite remember the when the case was off the top of my head, but um, actually, I probably can. It was about 25 years before 2003. Okay, so, so that case basically said, okay, we we read the 14th Amendment. We think that the state has an interest in rectifying past discrimination and the consequences of past discrimination. Therefore, colleges and universities are allowed to consider race when accepting applicants. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of this, this, you know, nominally, was that People who were historically disadvantaged 
would not be, um, well, <laughs> to use a phrase, I guess, slave to that disadvantage. They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of the, the, the fact that their parents are probably poor and that they probably didn't have a great education and that they're, 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 that all of that isn't going to hold them back from getting admitted to college. That was kind of the idea. And mm-hmm. that was allowed to stand, um, not with, I don't think it was without challenge, but it, it, there was nothing really that happened with it of, of merit uh, or meaning until 2003 in a case called Gruder. I can't remember the name of the other party in the case, but the first name on the case is Gruder. Uh, Gruder is a case in which Sandra Day O'Connor basically said uh, she wrote the, the majority opinion in that case. And all throughout the case, the idea sort of came through that, look, we understand that, that this is a meaningful thing. That, 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 yeah, you probably should try and rectify past discrimination. Um, but there has to be an end date on it. This can't exist in perpetuity. Mm-hmm, right. So basically, we're going to say that this is allowed to exist still. And I believe the, the, to paraphrase, but it's a very close to an actual quote, the, 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 oh, Senator O'Connor wrote, we expect, the, the court expects that in 25 years, policies such as this will no longer be necessary. Right. Fast forward to 20 years later, this term at right. Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. I, I, and I think this is what a lot of people, like a lot of people who might have been favorable to affirmative action, like just kind of never acknowledge they don't understand it it. to be temporary yes they do not understand that it was it was said to be temporary is meant to be temporary for the last 20 years everyone has understood it to be temporary if you Mm -hmm. actually do the reading (laughs) which is one of the major (laughs) problems with a lot of the commentators and talking heads and and um you know average people i don't expect to know this much but i expect the people who tell them what to think to know more Mm -hmm. right so this, right. has been, this has been part of the problem with all of that, is that nobody knows that Gruder said that. Nobody knows that. And so people's expectation was that this was going to exist in perpetuity when the expectation uh, on the law should have been that this will not exist past 2028. Right. So in any case, this, this case goes up to the Supreme Court, this most recent case, goes up to the Supreme Court, um, and basically the court says, okay, yeah, time's up. And there were more issues at play than that either, uh, as, or as well. The, this was one of the things, where the, the court basically said, look, Gruder said over and over and over and over and over, this was temporary, we're calling time, it's over. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that. And this is one of the interesting positions that I think people haven't really explored. If you read the case, this most recent case, Harvard and uh, I think UNC was the other school admitted to having a quota system. Mm-hmm. And the way that they admitted this was they basically said that when we're admitting students, if the race, if the demographics aren't close enough to what the last year's demographics were, the last academic period's demographics were, we will go in and reshuffle things to try and get those demographics closer to where they should be. Right. Going all the way back to that first affirmative action case, Quotas were always illegal. Always. You were never, ever, ever Mm -hmm. allowed to consider race and the number of students of a particular race that you have 
in making these decisions. It is discrimination mm-hmm. on its face, right? With no uh, redeeming purpose, right? Harvard and UNC both admitted to having that, <laughs> and so they deserve to fucking lose. Regardless yes. of what you think of affirmative action, regardless of whether or not you think it's a good idea, these guys deserve to fucking lose because they were breaking the law and they knew they were breaking the law. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, also with, with affirmative action as well, it's like, you know, if you're like uh, someone who, you know, if it's like I think for a lot of people, what they what they sometimes miss is that, look, this actually in, in, in many ways, culturally or socially like hurt minorities because then they were always second guessed. Right. This was who got a, some education. Yeah. Like, Oh, are you, so you're just like some, you know, you're an affirmative action hire or something like that. You yes. know what I mean? It was just devaluing them, uh, their status essentially. This was a major part of justice Thomas's concurrence. And I will say this mm-hmm. too. I will say this. Justice Thomas's legal analysis tends to be pretty good. Um, when he mm-hmm. does it, the problem with justice Thomas is he tends to make, um, he tends to make, uh, uh, like, like a few of the other guys on the conservative side of the court, uh, Alito, for example, tend to make emotional arguments rather than legal ones. Mm-hmm. And so uh, while I think that, that um, Justice Thomas is correct on his legal analysis most of the time, and I really do think that, mm-hmm. um, I, I like it better when he actually makes legal arguments. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. And so, uh, but I think what you're saying is, is absolutely well taken, which is that from Thomas's perspective, and we've heard this from black thinkers in the, in the past, like Thomas Sowell has made the same point, which is that if you were in university when this occurred, you saw the way people looked at you. If you were a black student mm-hmm. at a university when this started happening and the, the, it was with doubt, it was whether the, 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 mm-hmm. there was a, there was an open question as to whether or not you deserve to be there. And I think this is a good point. I mean, this is the, the mm-hmm. I think the only good thing to come out of the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, one of the only good things that ever came out of that was the phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yes, that is. A, it's a great phrase. Yeah. And I think it's 100 percent true. Yeah, I think I think people will look at you differently if they know you had a legal leg up. Right. Much like people look at people who are, for example, uh, people will judge people, and this is something I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank recently, so I think about this a lot too. People who are very mm-hmm. pretty people, right? Right. Born with a leg up and everyone knows it. Oh, sure. And so to, 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 to a guy like me, I see a very pretty person being very successful, and I think, you know, there's probably merit there. I'm not saying there's not merit there, but would you have done this if you weren't pretty? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's, sure. a, that's a fair question to ask, because we know that that causes a difference in your outcomes. The same is true with being born on third base financially. Right? Right. We know that oh, yeah. makes a difference. So there's an open question as to merit in cases where people get a leg up through, mm-hmm. no, no, through none of their own doing. And right. I think affirmative action only added to that problem. And so yes. does Justice Thomas, yeah. and so does Thomas Sowell. Um, the other issue that came up with that case was Katanji Brown Jackson's dissent. Oh, it was lauded. When I tell you that woman's dissent was lauded, <laughs> everybody thought it was the greatest dissent they've. Oh, it's so powerful. The writing. There's no legal <laughs> arguments in the motherfucker. 
<laughs> that was a dissent written for normies and op-eds, not lawyers. <laughs> There's not a legal argument to be found. There's no legal basis for the claims. The, the, the dissent in that case... And look, this is, some, this is something I say because I think she's better than that. Because her stuff on defendants' rights, she's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Sotomayor can be really, really good on the Fourth Amendment and making good legal arguments for uh, interpreting the Fourth Amendment is more protective than they do now. Katanji Brown-Jackson writes good things for for defending defendants' rights better than the court Mm -hmm. does now. Very good stuff. Very solid legal arguments. Even going back to originalism. Really, 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 really good points. This dissent was a failure for her. And I expect better. Mm -hmm. Because when she was, and this is part of the reason, when she was nominated, I defended her. When she was nominated, I said, look, she's really good on defendants' rights, and she's smart. She's not a bad nomination. I never, I never made the argument that she was an affirmative action nomination for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is, even if she was nominated in part because of her race, she's not unique in that she's a smart judge and attorney. There's, um, there's mm-hmm. Smart judges and attorneys are all over in the federal system. You can pick one out of a... You could just pick one. Pick one and nominate them. It doesn't matter. They're all going to be relatively competent. So it's not even necessarily that you're a, you're an affirmative action hire or whatever. It's, 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 it's like this is just competent people end up getting elevated to that level. Most of the time, there's very few dumb guys uh, who end up on that court. And I don't think she's dumb. Mm -hmm. I think she's emotional on this issue and didn't have a legal Mm -hmm. argument. And so she made bad arguments in her dissent. Yeah. And and to your point though, right. It's like, well, you know, if you're going to be bad on something, you know, affirmative action, sure. Okay. Yeah. Be bad on it. At least you're good on defendants' rights. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the thing. <laughs> that's why I don't hate her, and that's why I don't disparage her too much. Mm-hmm. But I will say right. this dissent was dog shit. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was really bad. <laughs> right. Um, and people were, of course, it was written for op-eds and normies. Like, it's, it was being quoted by people on Twitter who oh, thought sure. it was great. And it's like, yeah, but that's not a legal argument. <laughs> I mean, it's powerful writing, yes, but it's not a legal argument. And so it was meaningless to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> um, but that's the outcome of that case. Uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor put a, put a clock on it 20 years ago, saying, 25 years, this will no longer be necessary. The court got this case. The current crop of mm-hmm. people who are being accepted into college will be graduating in 2028. So it's, they basically just said, okay, you know what? Time's up. And plus also you were doing this illegally in the first place. So fuck off. You lose the hermitization over. Now they ended the, the, the majority opinion was ended with a, basically a guide on how to get around this ruling. Um, basically Mm -hmm. they said that if you, if that the schools are of course allowed to consider students when they write their essays and stuff about like how they overcame race adversity and stuff like that. Of course those things can be considered, right? Those are character traits on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely consider that stuff. Well, Harvard came out and put out a statement that said, well, the court said we could consider this stuff and we intend to comply. Right. So So not much will change. Nothing much will change because the, the meta for college prep companies, college prep tutors, uh, people who sell software and books for college prep and for uh, admissions consulting and things like that. The meta for all of this is going to be if you're not white, 
write your essay about how you overcame racial adversity, and it will effectively has the, have the same effect as affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Which it already was in many, 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 many colleges and universities, by the way. That was already the meta. That, because a lot of colleges had already dropped uh, explicit affirmative action and gone to essay-based affirmative action. Sure. And so that, I mean, that's, uh, that's what it is now. That's the meta. And that's what the meta will be. And, and I don't think, I don't expect much to change except for the fact that the Supreme Court has removed an inconsistency in their reading of the 14th Amendment and the uh, Equal Protection Clause, which is good. And that's, that's, that's the, basically what happened here. And people who were saying, I, I did have one more point to make. I'm sorry about this. I know I'm just going on. No, 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 go ahead. Um, no, no, go ahead. The, the people who make the argument that this is a break with precedent, including the Biden administration. Um, look, average people, I don't expect to have read the precedent. And so I don't expect them to know whether or not they're correct when they say that. People like the Biden administration, the talking heads on television retards who did not do the reading <laughs> because this is not a break with precedent. This is in fact demanded by the precedent. This outcome was demanded mm-hmm. by the previous cases right. on this issue. Right. And so the, there is no argument that this is not precedential. This is 100% in line with precedent. And if you don't like it, welcome to the club. Starry decisis is for suckers. Nobody cares about precedent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, but anyone who says this is a break with precedent, their position on legal matters can be safely ignored. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're just flat wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's also like, you know, it's all, they'll be told that it's against precedent off by people in the media and then they'll just run with it and yeah. then you, you won't be able to convince them otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. I, I posted the quote from yeah. the, from the Gruder case. It's a 20-year-old case, 2003. It's available for just for public consumption on the internet. You can get linked to it right from the Wikipedia on affirmative action. Go do the reading. That means means any information you present is going to be false to them. (laughs) Exactly. uh, Because you disagree. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what it means, because the Biden administration said something different. Um. Yeah, so but just like anyone anyone whose position is that this is contrary to precedent is just flat wrong. They just don't know what they're talking about. Um, and that's, that's all that can be said really is they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They didn't do the reading. Many such cases. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I, 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 again, I will throw it to you. Oh, well, let me ask you this. What do you think about that outcome as a, as someone who's not, um, super mm-hmm. familiar with the legal side of it? What do you think about the outcome and the way that people kind of responded to it? I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought I've always thought like, uh, it's never been one of my pet issues do you know what i mean like it's never been like at the front and center of my mind really right um but i think it was like yeah given what i know like a, a limited about like the legal uh side of it and like just like sort of like the justice side of it to me i think i think this was a good decision and like the correct one from a legal standpoint and i think this is a good a good step socially mm-hmm. i agree I, I think it was a mistake for the court to ever say that you can solve discrimination with more discrimination Right. I, I, I think that was just always wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm happy to see it die, uh, at least in, mm. the, in the formula that it existed. I'm happy to see it die in that it was an inconsistent yep. reading of the 14th Amendment that is now gone. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Thomas made that argument, by the way, uh, many years ago, many, many years ago. Thomas made the argument. He said, mm. uh, if something was uncon- if something will be unconstitutional in 25 years, it must be unconstitutional now. And I think he's correct. Mm. Yeah. Um, and some people misunderstood, by the way, what the court actually did there. What they did was they changed their reading of the 14th Amendment and made affirmative action a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. That is the function of the court's decision. Right. It's like a retroactive fixing of yes. a mistake that made. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And that's also why there's no uh, penalties to, or, or people are seeing and saying that there's no penalties to Harvard or for UNC for for having lost this because it was legal to do affirmative action. Now it's not, right? right. And so you can't ex post facto say, so now you're in right. big trouble for having done it. Um, okay, so let me ask you, what, what, which one do you want to do next? <laughs> Uh, I'll actually let you pick because I, I picked the last. Okay. Um. Well, let's let's get the website went out of the way real quick. Okay. So this was one that um I am not particularly interested in. I, I don't find it all that interesting mm-hmm. because I don't find it all that compelling. Um, the uh the sort of um gay rights community, uh, if you want to call it a community, LGBT community. There's no real community there. They all hate each other. But anyway, um, the, the LGBT community hates this decision because they think that it legalizes discrimination, especially a day after they said discrimination is bad. Um, that's not what the court did. So this was a case where a, okay, I'm going to say nominally because there are questions about the factual background of this case and whether or not any of this actually happened. Um, but this is, is a, this is a case where a website developer basically sued in a pre-enforcement um, suit uh, with regard to a law that would make it illegal for this website developer to tell a gay couple that they that they would not make a wedding site for them. So this website developer says, I'm a Christian, I have these values, and I don't want to make a gay wedding website. And this follows in, in sort of the line of the, the, the cake case, if you remember. Right. So what the court basically said was, um, well, we are saying that uh, an expressive sort of contract-based thing like this, where a person is being hired for their expressive content, website development, graphics, things like that, um, to force them to make something for a client that they don't want to make outside of a contract dispute, right? If they already contracted to make it, that's different, but that's a contract negotiation issue. They're refusing to take the job, right? Mm-hmm. If we force them to take the job, that's compelled speech and therefore illegal right. under the First Amendment. Right. Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> right, yes. So, yeah, I, I, people were acting like this was... A- of like the almost a civil rights act uh, type thing where it's like oh so now you can right. discriminate um but but no it, it it was what through expressive services so speech yes the services that, that classify as speech yes uh you cannot compel that yes yeah obviously yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it makes yeah. perfect sense people uh, are freaking out about it I, I there's no problem here Right. Yeah. And also, also, there were people going around saying that, oh, so now it's okay to discriminate against bigots. It's like, yes, it should be. Uh, All all this should be legal. If you're a gay website developer and you don't want to make websites for churches or Christians, that was always allowed. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're fine. Go ahead and don't do that. (laughs) 
right. what do you what the fuck do you mean no you don't have to <laughs> a lot of, yeah a lot of people like both there's people on the right like celebrating these as like huge victories and then there's a lot of people on the left decrying these as huge losses and i think neither of them are correct neither no. of them are correct <laughs> no this is just a kind of a straight ahead outcome of a case that anyone would expect yeah right now, the, the reason that I said all that nominally, because there's questions about the factual background, is that there's a possibility mm-hmm. that this person was never going to make wedding sites. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a pre-enforcement challenge, this is one of the problems with the pre-enforcement challenge, is that you have somebody suing on the auspices that a law might be enforced against them. I and, see. Okay. And in cases, in, in a lot of cases, you have to do that, right? Because if if they're going to pass a law and they pass the law, and and you, you shouldn't have to be arrested or fined in order to have a case. Like if if you right. if the law exists and could be used against you, you should be able to bring an action against it, right? Um, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what this was. This was a pre-enforcement action, but there were questions about whether or not this law would ever be enforced against this person because they don't make wedding sites. Mm-hmm. As far as I could tell, based on what I saw, the questions being asked with the factual background of this and some of the factual background about like that someone had contacted them and asked them to make a wedding site. There's questions about whether or not that even happened. Mm-hmm. So there are standing issues with this case. Uh, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. they're not, but as far as a straight ahead sort of principle, a pre-enforcement action is fine and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. It's it, you can make the argument till you're blue in the face that it's not a ripe case or controversy, but a person being at risk of enforcement of a law, I believe must be enough to give rise to standing and, and they must have a case. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the only thing that makes sense. You shouldn't have to have your life ruined in order to have a case. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no, no, no. That's that, that was I was I was actually going to start scooting. But what do you think? Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, yeah, as I said, like, I don't think the I agree with you. I don't think the two cases were like groundbreaking at all. Like, I no. don't think they were upsets, you know? <laughs> no. And they don't. I mean, look, the, the affirmative action case adds a lot to uh, the legal canon. This is a this is a big change mm-hmm. in the law. And I'm not going to say it's not a big change in the law. It was an expected change in the law right. that is in line with the precedent and, in fact, demanded by it. Right. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by it. It is a big change, but I'm not surprised by it. The website thing... But it's not upset. It's not a side, right. you know, a side swipe just out of nowhere. Right. Um, the website thing is, is kind of a nothing burger to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nothing at all. It's totally expected. That's what the law should be. You shouldn't be forced to work for a client you don't want to work for. Right. And, and this, I, I find, frankly, they, the only reason that they have to use this, this, uh, this expressive industry right carve-out is because of the Civil Rights Act. Right. That's the only reason they have to use that. Because the principle should be nobody has to do work for anyone they don't want to. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the principle because the Civil Rights Act yeah. exists. If you have a, a, a publicly accessible business that provides a good, you pretty much have to sell, regardless of the identity mm-hmm. of the person, right? So, and that was one of the questions in the Kate case. If you remember, this was many, many years ago now, but yeah. um, part of the question there was is a cake an artistic expression or is it a good? Right. And uh, frankly, I think they made the court right. I think the court made the right decision in saying it's artistic. It's, I mean, 
mm-hmm. you have to put words on it, don't you? So right, and you were designing it. You're specifically right. like you know, yeah, yeah. Um, now, if they came into your your place and wanted to buy an ice cream cake just out of the freezer, maybe that's a different argument. Maybe, mm-hmm. but um, I I think that argument shouldn't have to be had at all. I I disagree with right. this concept exactly. that there's anyone you're yeah. forced to work for. Right, exactly. Like like ultimately, as you say, split hairs between. Well, is it a design? Is it a good? It's like, well, whatever it is, whatever answer people come to in that like formulation, the libertarian answer is always you don't have to work for anyone you don't want to. Exactly. You don't have to service anyone you don't want to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And so this is the that's 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 kind of the thing with that case. There's a lot of humming and hawing and a lot of people that didn't understand the difference between that and the affirmative action case. This was an argument that I saw Mm -hmm. actually fucking Vosh, the retard, made this argument. Um, <laughs> that the court just yesterday said discrimination is bad, and today they said discrimination's okay. No. <laughs> no. No. The court yesterday said that the state is not allowed to discriminate. And then after that, they said you, the private individual with the business, are. That's the difference. The 14th right. Amendment does not apply to you, the average person with a business. It applies to the state. The Equal Protection Clause did not, does not apply to you, the average person with the business. It applies to the state. It limits the state. Right. And so, if, if you knew anything, Vosh, you fat retard, you would know that these two things are not at all comparable, and it's two different sets of laws that apply to people. The 14th Amendment applying to the, st- to the state, and the, right. uh, the, 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 the law here being that you, are not, you don't have to fucking work for anyone. Especially if you, ha- if you have a business that is, uh, that is expressive, making you work for someone is a violation of the First Amendment, something the state is not allowed to do. Right. <laughs> These are both decisions that are limitations on the state. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In any case. Um, and then the final one was the student loan thing. This is another one. In, in, you described people taking victory laps over shit that they shouldn't be taking victory laps over. I've seen the right taking victory laps over this. And it's for the dumbest, wrongest reason. <laughs> um, this is a case where, uh, if you remember, uh, during COVID, the uh, Biden administration basically put a pause on, um, on or, or did, did uh, some kind of student loan forgiveness. It was a complicated process, and frankly, my payment deadline was never even close to coming up, so I didn't even look into it. Um, cause I knew I was never going to benefit, <laughs> but, um, the, the, the way that this, that this functioned effectively, uh, meant that people didn't have to pay their student loans for a while. And I think it also was a pause on the increase in the, uh, in, in the, uh, uh, uh based on the interest. So I, I, I think this also paused the, the growth of the loan. If I recall correctly, I might not, but they did this under the auspices of the authority Granted to the Secretary of the Department of Education under the HEROES Act. Now, this was a law that was passed after 9-11 in order to, uh, in order to allow the Secretary of uh, the Department of Education to make emergency sort of dictates in the face of, uh, of emergencies. Um, again, this followed after 9-11, 
and and this was sort of to allow them to relax certain standards or to to make certain changes in response to emergencies that come about. It was amended or or repassed it differently in 2003. I can't recall what happened there. Uh, but the the this 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 change to the student loan situation was made under the auspices of that act. Okay. Several states sued the federal government as a response to the student loan forgiveness plan. Yeah. That's why this case is called Biden uh, v. Nebraska. But the only state that gets talked about is Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) You love to see. (laughs) (laughs) And that's for a very interesting reason. Some of you with student loans may know there is a student loan servicer called Mohila, M-O-H-E-L-A. I forget what it stands for, and I don't care. It's a corporation that was established by statute by the state of Missouri in order to facilitate the servicing of student loans, and it now services student loans nationally. When you, have, when you get a student loan, you get assigned a servicer. Mohila could be one of those servicers. So that's what they do. And their agreement with the federal government basically says that they get a fee for every student loan they service. And if those loans get forgiven and go away, they don't get paid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, you might say to yourself, self, sounds like Mohila probably has a case. Because if they're going to lose money to this thing... They, they seem to have a case against the federal government. If the federal government's saying, yeah, we're going to make a change to this, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm changing the agreement, pray I don't change it any further, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like Mohila probably has a case against the federal government, right? Mm-hmm. You, you'd think so. Yeah. On, on uh, the surface. They're nowhere close to this case. <laughs> In fact, Missouri had to use their Open Information Act to get the documents they needed from Mohila. (laughs) Mohila did not want to voluntarily comply with this. Mohila had to be dragged to give the state the documents they needed to file the suit and make make their case. And so... (laughs) The state of Missouri's position is that though the state of Missouri has standing because this corporation that we created exists to serve a public function. We want it to serve a public function and our interests as a state are being impeded because this state created corporation is being impeded. They're losing money to this. And that's true. They were losing money. I think they're going to lose something like $44 million. And here's the problem with this, though. Mm-hmm. The rules of standing, okay? And this is, this, is, this is fucking... To anyone who's not in sort of this stuff, this sounds like way off in the weeds legal shit. Like really nitty-gritty stuff. And it kind of is. But it's very, very important because if you don't have standing, you don't get to be a plaintiff. You don't have a case. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court has, on many occasions, decided not to hear a case because there wasn't standing, or they said there wasn't standing. The SB-8 case is an example of this. When when the SB-8 challenge went up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, there's no ripe case or controversy here. 
There's no one who has been harmed by the existence of SB8, and so there is no case. Right. So even if, like, something was technically, like, uh, illegal by a constitutional on a constitutional, if there's no plaintiff, no actual person there to bring it justifiably, then they're yes. just not going to hear it. It's just like, yes. yeah, well, yeah. Okay, there, there is, and actually, to sort of illustrate just how meaningful this is, there is only one type of claim you can make because you are a taxpayer and sue the government. It's called taxpayer standing. It applies to one mm. kind of claim. And that is a violation of the Establishment Clause. And if you think about it for a second, you'll understand why. And that is because you think about a violation of the Establishment Clause, who's the plaintiff if the state violates the Establishment Clause? Who has standing to sue? Right. <laughs> Nobody's going to sue over that. The, 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 the people who are getting, usually this is in a case where a church is getting a lot of money. Um, the people who are getting the money aren't going to challenge it. The state's not going to challenge it. They're doing it. Right. So who's your plaintiff? It has to be a taxpayer. That's the only place you have taxpayer standing. So this is, that, that's, a, that's that kind of to illustrate how sort of big a deal the standing thing is. The rules are mm. generally supposed to be very stringent. Elena Kagan's dissent, Justice Elena Kagan's dissent in, Nebraska, in Biden v. Nebraska I think has the better side of the standing argument in that she makes it very clear. The state of Missouri is not harmed by this. This pause does not harm the state of Missouri. And the reason for that is because there is no financial link between the state of Missouri and Mohila. Mohila is independent as a corporation. Its finances are apart from the states and the state of Missouri was very careful in writing the statute that established Mohila to make that very, very, very clear. Those two purses never mix. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. So if the issue here is that Mohila is going to lose $44 million, how does that hurt Missouri? It doesn't. And if right. Mohila doesn't want to bring the claim, who's your plaintiff? Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, there isn't one, right? And so right. the court kind of hand waves this by saying that, well, this is a, uh, an, a, uh, a, uh, an, this is a corporation that was established by statute and therefore they have a close relation to the government and therefore Missouri has standing. The problem with that is it's, it's not always the case. It's not a rule that every corporation that's established by the government is part of the government for all purposes. Right. Yeah, right, right. Now, it is generally the rule, and this is what the majority relies on, it is generally the rule that a corporation established by the government must comply with the demands of the Constitution, and if it doesn't, it can be sued as if it were the government. Mm -hmm. And that's what the majority kind of relies on, is those cases that say, for example, there was a rule about Amtrak and the First Amendment. Well, because Amtrak got sued for something and yada, 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 it was a, it was a, it was a, a civil rights issue uh, under the Bill of Rights, so the first 10 minutes of the Constitution, they, Amtrak was sued and they were basically, the, the court basically said, look, a government created corporation can be sued as if it's the government for the purposes of the First Amendment or for the purposes of mm. enforcing the Bill of Rights. Absolutely mm -hmm. no okay. question, no problem with that. 
There is no general standard which states that the a corporation that is established by the government is the government for the purposes of the corporation's claim of a loss of revenue. Right, right. So, so the Supreme Court here essentially, given that they uh, there is uh, is essentially no standing, uh, you know, apparently, uh, they're just they just essentially ruled by fiat, kind of. They did. Uh, in, this. in my view, Elena Kagan had the better part of that argument. There was no standing here, and the court should have never reached the merits. And instead, the court said, "But we want to." Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what happened here. Right. And this is another reason that I think that I think people people kind of throw Elena Kagan off to the side, but there's nobody better with administrative law. Mm. Elena Kagan understands the administrative side of shit. And and the and questions of standing and of jurisdiction. Elena Kagan's mm-hmm. a nuts and bolts fucking judge. Like she <laughs> gets that shit in a way that a lot of attorneys don't. Mm-hmm. Um and so that kind of stuff she's very, very good with. So what the court basically did was said, eh, but we don't care. Uh, Missouri has standing. Which means that one all these, the plaintiffs... You know, do it. One of these episodes, I think you should do like an, an S to F tier rating of the, of the justices mm. and, and like give your reasons why. I, I think I actually think that'd be a very cool that would be fun. Uh, thing that people would enjoy. Yeah. That would be very fun. Maybe we could get Lady Jane on for that. Oh, that'd be a cool episode. Yeah. That would be really fun. Um, yeah, and I'll then see. when you two disagree, it'd be very, very. Uh, and we would, awesome. we would absolutely <laughs> <Yes>. disagree. <laughs> um. <laughs> so anyway, what the court said was the the court basically said, "Fuck the standing issue." We're saying they're standing, and I think this is going to cause problems in the future. I really do, because standing is one of those things you start fucking with, and then everybody wants to say, "Well, I have standing," because you said this. Um, right, right. So I really do think this is going to cause a lot of problems. But the court then said that the HEROES Act did not give the Secretary of the Department of Education the authority to do this. I think that's wrong. Um, they read the, the HEROES Act so narrowly and word by word that I agree with Elena Kagan again when she says that they basically mm-hmm. picked apart the clauses in the HEROES Act such that they lost all their meaning. But when you put them together as regular ass sentences, it's pretty fucking clear the Secretary of the Department mm-hmm. of Education can do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> you know, within their wheelhouse, of course. Right. But as a right. response to an emergency and on a temporary basis, they can do whatever the hell they want. Um, it's, it's pretty clear. Well, the court doesn't like that. And there's a reason <laughs> the court doesn't like that. And in order to explain this, I must draw your attention to a case I've talked about a little bit in the past. West Virginia versus the EPA. <clears throat> now, oh, I, yeah. You've heard of this. I've heard of it, yep. West Virginia against the EPA is a case that kind of got the ball rolling on a current movement in Supreme Court precedent to pare back the ability of the administrative bureaucracy of the executive branch to change laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and effectively what it does is it relies on this idea called the major questions doctrine. And the major questions doctrine basically says, eh, if it's too big a change, you're going to have to have legislation for it. Right. This is a major question. You're basically changing the law in a way that is 
that is very real and very measurable and will affect people in a very real way. And so you're going to have to pass a law for that. You can't just do it by the, the, the law says the secretary of whatever fucking executive branch gets to just define shit however they want. Right. You can't do that anymore. Now, some may ask, why did the ATF get to do that with the pistol braces just now? And the answer is, that's going to get overturned on this basis. Oh, okay. Right. See, see, it's all connected. This, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the reasons I really like this shit. Is <laughs> because it, yeah. it reflects the way it's I all think. butterfly effects all yes. the way down. It's, exactly. Yeah. It reflects the way I think. You know how we've had conversations, and I'm sure the listeners uh-huh. recognize this, is that it just things make me think of other things because they have something in common. Right. Well, that's the way this whole fucking system works. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I think that's why some of these lawsuits that FPC is doing are so very important. It's not because of what they do at the circuit level or at the state level. It's because of what they do when they get to the federal government, because the Supreme Court mm-hmm. has really been attacking the executive branch's ability to do whatever the fuck they want just because Congress mm-hmm. decided they don't want to write a definition section in their fucking legislation. <laughs> right? Right. So, so that's that's what they basically said was they they said the the Heroes Act didn't give the authority. I think that was kind of a bullshit thing. I think the real reason that the outcome of the case was what it was, which is that the the secretary can't do this. I think the real reason that that outcome came about was because the court is very interested in attacking the authority of the executive branch to just do shit. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is a major questions issue. You're going to need legislation for it. Now, there is a possibility that the Biden administration can go back and do this under a different law. I think it's called the Higher Education Act or something like that, um, which mm-hmm. gives them even broader power. So so it's it's very possible they can still get done what they wanted to get done under a different law. And I think using the HEROES Act was, frankly, a bad idea in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always going to be overturned on the HEROES Act basis, I think. But um, I think the Biden administration can do this through the law that basically establishes the student loan system. Um, mm-hmm. I think they can do that relatively easily. Uh, but in any case, that is the thing that people are missing with this case. This is not a case that deals with statutory interpretation. Fuck the statutory interpretation. The court didn't care about it. I don't care about it. This is a case that deals with the administrative state, the administrative bureaucracy, the executive branch, and Congress's, uh, we'll say, bad habit of abdicating their legislative authority to the executive branch. And the court is very interested in paring that back and saying, no, you, you can't just do that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a law, you have to make a law. You can't just tell the executive branch, hey, do whatever you want. And again, this reflects what I think will happen eventually with the pistol brace rule. I think once the pistol mm-hmm. brace rule finds its way to the Supreme Court, I think the Supreme Court's going to come back and say, how many Americans did you turn into felons by changing a definition? Sorry, you need a law. Right. And at least if they wanted yeah. to be consistent, that's it, what they would do. Yeah. And on that topic, too, this has always been like a thing that the, you know, the executive has used to grab our power. It's like, well, they, this wasn't very well defined, so we're going to. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. You're breaking up just a little bit. 
Okay, hold on. I'll fix that. Okay, there we go. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely correct. This is something that the executive branch has been doing, and, and they've been doing it more and more and more and more as time has gone on, because frankly, I don't think Congress wants the job mm-hmm. of passing good, clear, concise, readable, understandable, enforceable legislation. Right. <laughs> they, they just want to say, hey, executive branch, do a thing. And the executive branch says, okay. Right. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I, I do believe that's a separation of powers issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so legally, I don't think they have that right. I don't think they have that ability. I don't think the Constitution says that Congress can tell the executive branch to start making what are effectively laws. Right. Because if enforcement and, you know, coming up with what is going to be enforced are supposed to be two separate things and you leave something ambiguous, then it seems to be a dereliction of your duty. Not just leaving it ambiguous, but leaving it ambiguous and then telling the enforcement arm, define it however you want. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, that's see. It, I mean, what you say you're, you're is, trying to transfer your duty when you don't necessarily have the right to transfer your duty. Exactly. What you're saying is perfectly descriptive of why this is such a common sense problem. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to have separation of powers. Have the powers separated. It seems pretty obvious, right? Right. Right. Um. But in any case, that's that's the thing here. And so Republicans are out here taking a victory lap because, oh, the Biden administration can't do this under the HEROES Act. <laughs> it's like, no, you idiots. You just got a major victory in defanging the administrative state. And right. frankly, it caused a major problem in the realm of standing. Isn't that always the funniest thing, though, about like conservatives and liberals, too, but especially conservatives, how they'll always look at the wrong thing yes. <laughs> every time. Every fucking time! (laughs) Without fail. Absolutely! And it's mind-boggling to me. Because here's the thing, again, I don't expect the average person to read this, and I certainly don't expect them to be able to make the connections because they don't have the experience reading the other shit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't know about West Virginia against the EPA, you don't know what um, uh, Biden v. Nebraska is saying in context. Right. If you don't if you don't know about that stuff, Mm -hmm. you don't know why this is happening. Well, right. So and I don't expect the average person to know about that stuff. Frankly, it's a lot of information. It's very boring reading. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's fine. But the people who tell those people what to think. Should be doing the reading. Right, right, yeah. And that's been my greatest pet peeve over the last four days or so with these three big mm-hmm. decisions coming out, one of which actually isn't a big decision. It's not a, it's a fucking nothing burger. Um, with these decisions coming out, that is the biggest problem that I've had with, with the way that I've seen people responding to it is that the people who are telling other people what to think have not done the reading, or if they have, do not understand it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would be it would be like me, you know, sitting here and, and opening up uh one of Lady Jane's copies of De Beauvoir and, and reading that in French and then trying to explain it to someone. I don't fucking know French. <laughs> I don't have any context for any of this. I don't know what any of it means. I can't explain it to anybody. Mm-hmm. 
So it's but you have people doing that with these cases over the last few days, mm-hmm. on and on and on, and and the, and it's designed. If I'm being frank, and and I think this is relatively obvious, it's designed to create outrage. Yes, a hundred percent. Because if the if the talking heads on CNN and their legal analysts and experts came out and said, "Oh yeah, no, we knew affirmative action was going away," like you guys didn't, <laughs> that right. doesn't get that doesn't make people mad. That doesn't right, get engagement. Exactly, yep. That doesn't make people want to watch. That doesn't make people want to yell and scream about affirmative action and right. race relations and all this other shit. Yep. It's, it's but but any any legal analyst, anyone who knew anything, would say that. Would say, <laughs> no, we absolutely knew this was going away. What are you talking about? There was a twenty five year right. clock set on it in two thousand and three. You thought this was going to be around forever? <laughs> like it, they told you they were going to take it away twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Why are we surprised by this now? What the hell are you talking about? Like that right. would be the reaction of anyone who knew anything. Yeah, and I think they do know these things. Some of them, I think oh, I, they're I, malicious yeah, think they're, actors. Yes, a hundred percent. I think they're just trying to stir up their base. Yes, absolutely. Just like I think whoever's writing fucking speeches for Joe Biden. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because I shouldn't expect a White House speechwriter to know anything, but. At least the people, some of the people who are working in the White House know that, mm-hmm. that this is not a break with precedent. This is, in fact, demanded by the president. This is perfectly in line with the precedent. The president told them to do this. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I, I mean, people in the Biden administration must know that. And so for the Biden mm-hmm. administration to come out and make a statement like in a, in a shocking break with precedent, the fuck are you talking about? Just because it's been around for 50 years and now it's gone doesn't mean it was a break with precedent, especially in a weird case like this, where the original case told them they had to take it away eventually. Right. In any case, what did you see? Sorry, I kind of went off. What did you see about the student loan thing? How did you see people responding to it? What did you think? Um, So, interestingly enough, I saw that the least... And I agree with you that it's the most important, but I saw that I saw that very, like just a passing mention here and there. I truthfully, I wasn't on social media that much. Um, I haven't either. This whole thing happened. There's something something uh, so weird happened over the last couple of days where I had no desire to be on Twitter. Yeah, same. Um, but also, it, it's one of those things where uh, like I didn't see much about that that particular case at all. It was the other two that got the most mentions and that were the least like when like I actually looked into it more. It was the least like shocking to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, of course. And of course, that happened. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, um, I truthfully, I haven't seen much response about that at all. But I'm sure that's just from my own like lack of like um, experience on uh, or just seeing things. Yeah, uh, I, I hadn't seen much about the student loan one, especially because, like, like you, just like you, I haven't been on the internet much over the last couple of mm-hmm. days. Um, and so I, I hadn't seen much about it, but I did see uh, headlines a couple of a couple of places where people were just like, you know, the the Biden administration, uh, the Supreme Court says the Biden administration can't do student loan forgiveness, and then you had Republicans saying, well, they knew they couldn't do it; they just said it during the campaign so that they would get uh, so that they would get uh, get votes, and they just and and of course they were lying about it. Here's the thing: I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I think here's the thing. I'm I'm kind of torn on it because mm-hmm. trying to do it under the Heroes Act is dumb. They should have mm-hmm. tried to do it under the under the uh, the Higher Education Act. 
in the first place. And so maybe they knew they were going to lose in the Supreme Court doing it with the HEROES Act. But Mm -hmm. the other side of the argument is the standing rules wouldn't really allow a plaintiff unless one of the loan servicers sued the federal government, and they're not going to do that. And so if I'm in the Biden administration and I'm looking at at the laws, at the law as it existed before this, I'm thinking, well, if the servicers don't sue us, no one else can. And so why, mm. why would this get overturned? Right. So I'm kind of torn on it. I think maybe, maybe they knew they were going to lose. Maybe they didn't. I, I, in fact, I'm, I'm leaning toward they didn't. But it, it, all, the, all the Republicans and stuff who are doing this victory lap about like, her, her, <laughs> Biden, all those stupid kids. Ha, da, da. It's like, <laughs> no, you, you don't understand what just happened. Right. <laughs> You don't get it. <laughs> you're you're the meme with the guy at the party, yeah, who's just like they don't know what. That's yeah, exactly happened. right. And they're all... <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and that was another thing I said too was that like, look, this causes problems with standing. This causes problems with jurisdiction because you're like this 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 idea that that Missouri had standing just because a corporation that they created but exists separate and apart from them with no oversight from the state they the only the only uh if i recall correctly i think they have to make earnings reports to the state but that's it like i don't i don't think they actually they the, those purses mm-hmm. are totally separate in fact the statute that establishes mohila is very specific and it says that no state money shall be used to fund mohila and none of mohila's money shall be used to pay the debts of the state mm-hmm. so they they set it out specifically to be financially insulated and then their argument is that well the financial harm to mohila gives us standing well why how? Right. You're insulated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, legally, the way you explained it, it's like, yeah, well, they have no standing. Like, uh... Yeah, they're not a victim. And especially, especially yeah. because Mohila wanted nothing to do with this case. Because I think Mohila, right, frankly, is smarter thing, than right? They had to drag it out of them. So. Yes! They had to use their sunshine law to get documents out of Mohila. <laughs> That's crazy! <laughs> an organization that they established by statute they had to use basically their their state's free information act <laughs> to get the documents they needed to even have a suit that's really funny <laughs> it's crazy to me yeah. and so for them to say well we carry we, we are writing Mohila's cause of action into court you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to ride the cause right. of action of a third party into court. Right. Well, they seemingly seem to be somewhat unwilling <laughs> like, to even right. have this happen. Because here's the thing. I, don't, I think $44 million is a drop in the fucking bucket to Mohila. Oh, yeah. Especially with the value of the contract in the first place. Because there's nothing that says the federal government has to work with Mohila. Mm-hmm. So if, they, if, they, if Mohila decides, well, we're going to sue the federal government, you think you're getting another contract? you're going away if that happens so of course Mohila didn't want to be anywhere near this yeah because there's nothing there's no law that says outside of the contracts they already have there's no law that says the federal government has to use Mohila as a loan servicer 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of loan servicers. They could take their business elsewhere. Right. So, yeah, of course fucking Mohila doesn't want to... $44 million is a drop in the bucket, man. Especially compared to the value of the future contracts, because the cost of college is only going up. Right, right, right. That's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so it's dumb! <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid and i think i think i think the court just wanted to rule on the merits so badly that they decided well fuck the rules of standing we'll just say missouri has standing right <laughs> yeah like and and honestly i think i think kagan had the right right side of that argument i think kagan's mm-hmm. i think kagan's dead right on that I think Kagan's reading of the Heroes Act is probably right. Um, I think the court really went through it with a fine-tooth comb, not in order to find its meaning, but in order to obfuscate it. Mm-hmm. And right. um, and I think Kagan's reading of it's probably correct. Uh, Elena Kagan's like a smart you, woman. You scaled right? out too far, and then it's just indiscernible what things mean in context, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, obviously, it, you know. The very definition of can't see the forest for the trees. Yep. And and so I, I think that's what they did. And 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 I, again, Elena Kagan's a smart woman. She you can't get shit by Elena Kagan. She's one of the smartest justices in the Supreme Court, and a court full of smart people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And she's the. And here's the thing: you know that because she has administrative law just in her head. Like, and that's very difficult. <laughs> Because this is the that is the nerdiest part of law, <laughs> and that's and that's her area. That's her wheelhouse. Um, oh yeah, you you never want to go up against those types of people who are like hyper fixated on one specific issue and then try to argue with them on that issue because it's yes. not gonna you know, fighting with Elena a, Kagan oh, yeah. on administrative law is like fighting with Scott Horton on the war on terror. Right. Yes. Right. Good. It, you're just gonna lose. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're just not winning that. Um yeah. And so that's that's kind of the thing. Those those three cases. I thought. Um, I, I think. I think it's good outcomes all around. Mm-hmm. As far as those three cases, I think they're. I think the outcomes are good in all of them. I think. Um, only two of them really matter. Because the, the, the web development one was... Uh, God, that's such a nothing burger of a case. The only yeah. reason they talked about it is because it's one of these LGBTQ issues cases. It's one of the... Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just the cake case again. There's really nothing mm-hmm. interesting about it as far as, I can, as, far as I'm concerned. Um, there's mm-hmm. slightly different issues and stuff like that at, at play, but ultimately, it's not that interesting. Um, what's really interesting to me is the fact that we just got a... a Another in that line of cases following from West Virginia against the EPA, where they are they are really, really attacking the administrative state and the administrative bureaucracy and their ability to use the executive branch to legislate. The court is not a fan of how far that's gone and they want to pair it back. And this is another case in that line of cases Um, because nobody's going to give a fuck about the way they interpreted the Heroes Act here. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it was contrived anyway. They said it only because they needed to. Because I think what the court really cared about in this case was the major questions doctrine. And it was pairing back the administrative state. And then, of course, the affirmative action case, which... What's interesting about that to me isn't so much the legal outcome. I knew what was going to happen. What's interesting about it to me is the way people have responded to it in such 
deep ignorance of of what it actually is and means and is based on. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, no, that yeah. I actually had a, a lot of questions about like all this, right? Because I'm I'm not well versed in like the like the legal minutia, but you explained that very very well. Did I? Because I feel like getting into get this is the this is the fear. Mm-hmm. Getting into the weeds on standing is one of those things that causes problems at the Supreme Court. At oral <laughs> argument. Like, like, people getting into the weeds on standing, if the court starts asking you a lot of standing questions at oral argument, you start mm-hmm. sweating. <laughs> and I've listened to a few oral arguments where this has happened, not the least of which was the SB8 case. But I've listened to a few oral arguments where this has happened, where the court really starts drilling down on standing. And if you're the plaintiff, it's like, oh, fuck, they don't even want to hear the case. (laughs) And and not only that, but can I even answer these questions? Because this is a very complex area of law. And and so that's the fear when getting into standing stuff, the it's relatively easy mm-hmm. to explain that an earlier case said affirmative action had to go away, and so affirmative action went away. Right. It's very easy to explain that. Uh, it's very easy to explain. You can't make somebody do something creative because it is a violation of the First Amendment. It's compelled speech. There you go. That's how the website yep. case goes, right? Very easy to yep. explain that. Whether or not a state has standing when it establishes a corporate entity that is financially insulated and the state doesn't really have any oversight, but the state is claiming that the, fi- that the entity serves a state purpose, and so they have standing to bring an action when the entity doesn't want anything to do with the litigation, and, and whether or not that does give rise to standing under a third-party theory or under a theory of, of state police power or whatever, any other of these theories that give rise to standing, that's very complicated. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you add in the fact that it was a state created corporation and stuff like that. Yes. Oh, well, they don't seem to even be willing, you know, like, where where is the correct answer? Yeah. No. (laughs) So it's really hard to explain that. I hope I did that. Okay. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I know much more about this than I ever have before. So I, I feel like I understand it much better now. Well, that's 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 very good to hear because I I really thought about it. I today I sat down and I read um most of not all. I I, I read the majority mm-hmm. and I read Kagan's dissent of the uh of the opinion on on Biden v Nebraska and I sat there thinking about like how am I going to talk about standing? <laughs> like how am I going to explain No, I that. But I I thought it was very clear though. So I think you did a really good job. Okay, thank you very much. That's very good to hear. <laughs> the idea basically is someone has to have been hurt. Right. Uh, and, and it also interestingly kind of ties into that pre-enforcement action idea, like in the web, in the web dev case, where it's like, mm-hmm. someone has to have been hurt or probably will be hurt, right? Like, you, like it, mm-hmm. the, the rules on standing get very mushy when you start to get to the outsides where it's like not a very clear situation where this person was personally very much hurt by this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to, it's things start to get machine gray as you approach mm-hmm. the outsides of that. So it's, it's a, it's a very complicated issue, but I, I think the court in short, I think the court made the wrong decision, even getting to the merits on the case, even though mm-hmm. I agree on the outcome, I think the court should have said oh, right. there's no standing here. Um, and so, and even here's the thing, even if they wanted to write a whole opinion 
about why they thought the the why they thought the secretary of the department of education did not have this authority under heroes or the major questions doctrine they still could have written that but the problem mm. is the supreme court has a more and and this is actually a question that i think people might ask and so i should explain it the supreme court does not like to write things that are called advisory opinions these things are generally considered to be more than in poor form. It's, it's beyond the locus of the Supreme Court's authority to write. Is that because they think they'll like lower judges or lower courts will like run with it or um, legislatures? In, in part because of the, preced- the effect that it could have on precedent. And also okay, in part yes. because it's, it's considered to be the Supreme Court stepping outside of their lane to the mm-hmm. legislature. And telling okay, the legislature yeah. or the executive branch even that uh, you guys just aren't allowed to do. You, I, we're going to say you're not allowed to do this. There, they, the this the uh, this idea of the advisory opinion is kind of against the um, the the principle of the Supreme Court. And so, when when a question like this comes up, people ask that sometimes, where it's like, well, why didn't they just say what they would have done, even if they don't find standing and they don't want to get to the merits of it and they say so this mm-hmm. opinion isn't like saying this is the law for these people because there's no standing here but this is what we would have done if there was standing they would just be preempting like a future decision that hasn't kind of like come up yet yes and advisory decisions are considered to be outside of the locus of authority of the supreme court Mm-hmm, okay. And there have been cases in history where someone has gone to the Supreme Court and said, can I get an advisory opinion on this? Because I, I don't know if you guys would allow this to happen. And the Supreme Court's like, no, <laughs> no, no, make it happen. Do what you're going to do. And we'll see what happens when it gets to us. So that's that's one of the things that I find mm-hmm. that that people kind of. When I thought of that, because I have seen people ask that before. Like, if standing is such an issue, why can't they just say this is what we would have said if there was standing? And that's why. It's it's an Mm -hmm. advisory opinion. It's outside of the locus of authority of the Supreme Court. And that is something that they do tend to take relatively seriously. The Supreme Court does not do advisory opinions. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to do that. As as much as it would make things easier. Because the other thing, too, is consider this. Let's say the Supreme Court puts out an advisory opinion on a thing that never comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. Well... Let's say you go 25, 30, 50 years down the road and you've had four, three or four justices shift on the Supreme Court. You've had three or four justices die and be replaced or retire and be replaced. That advisory opinion, if it holds the force of precedent, has locked those future Supreme Court justices into a situation where... If the government tries to do that thing, they're not going to try to do it because they have this advisory opinion that says they can't. But maybe they could with a different makeup of justices, right? Right. So you're, you're essentially locking a future Supreme Court down to the decision that you mm-hmm. made on something that was not a case or controversy. And that's another issue with right. the advisory opinion is that the Supreme Court only has jurisdictions over cases and controversies. If someone comes to the Supreme Court and says, hey, can I get an advisory opinion? I think I might try and do this policy. And the Supreme Court comes back and says yes or no, either way. That's not a case or controversy. They're outside their jurisdiction to do that. Right. 
And Article 3, the Article 3 jurisdiction of the Supreme Court is limited to cases and controversies. That's right. why standing is such an issue. like arbitrating and like preemptively prescribing. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. This, the Supreme Court does not get to preempt a case or controversy just by saying, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do. Or this is what we would do if you tried to pass this law. Um, the Supreme Court can't do that. Their, their Article 3 jurisdiction is limited to cases or controversies. And again, that, that's another mm-hmm. reason that standing is such a big deal. That's another reason you have to have a proper plaintiff. Is because if there's no case and no controversy, the Supreme Court, by the, per the Constitution, doesn't get to say anything. They don't get to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's why that happens. That's why the Supreme Court doesn't just say, well, uh, you know, we're not going to decide this case, but if we did, here's what we'd say. Uh, does that make sense? That makes uh, complete sense. Yep. I'm sorry. I know I kind of went on and on about that stuff, but no, no, that was great. I no, I, I thoroughly enjoy that. I know there's so many moving parts to it and it's difficult for me again, kind of describing like the way that I think about stuff. I see all this shit is connected. And so there's a spider web of topics that spin off of any one aspect of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, but that, I, no, that makes sense though. Right. Like it, it makes sense that you, when you have all these moving parts that you can't just like talk about one specific strain, one specific line of thought, you have to like incorporate all these different aspects and until you have a fuller, fuller picture. Right. Right. And there's, there's the, and the list of reasons for a thing is generally long rather than short. There's mm-hmm. very few, there, there's, there are, um, there are a few sort of uh, sort of things that the Supreme Court does or, or, or sort of jurisprudential standards that have been passed down that are for one reason and one reason only. But those things are kind of few and far between. Generally, if there's a, mm-hmm. a standard that exists, it exists for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and some of those reasons are mm-hmm. going to be based in law. Some of those reasons are going to be based in practicality. Some of those reasons are going to be based in, you know, uh, in the authority of the court or the authority of the legislature of the executive. Sure. So it's, it's, there's, <laughs> there's kind of a million things to keep track of and it can become very confusing very quickly. Um, if you're not kind of steeped in it to some extent and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the issues with like, and that's frankly, that's one of the reasons that, um, law schools don't give you like civil procedure. First thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Like those, those classes come later. Once you understand how torts work, then you can get civil procedure because if you can understand tort law, you can probably understand civil procedure. You can probably understand these standards at the Supreme court for standing and all this other stuff that comes up in those areas. Right. It would be like, it would be like starting backwards from like when you're learning math, right? Trying to teach someone algebra before they learn basics, you know? Exactly. That is exactly right. It would be exactly like that. And so, um, like, but that does make it complicated to talk about. And so I hope I didn't confuse anybody too terribly much. No, I, I, I'm very much like a, practically a layman in, in these regards. And I was able to follow what you were saying cl- very clearly. Well, that's the goal. So that's, that's very, very good to hear. Yeah. Um, okay. Any other thoughts on that stuff? Uh, I don't think think so i think i think i ran through i think we both like ran through what we had to talk about uh on that regard in that regard were there any other other questions that had occurred to you that i didn't get to um i don't think so at this point in time i think you like i think you actually predicted a few of them already like in when you were talking uh so i think uh yeah i think you covered everything 
All right, good. I try. I tried to be thorough without being confusing. Let me yeah. know if I succeeded. Hit me no, up on. No, no, yeah. I, I guess hit me no, up I on Blue I Sky really if I succeeded tough. at that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Was there any other topics? Anything else? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think that was it for this week. Okay, man. Well, uh. That's excellent. Again, let me know if I said anything too confusing. I'll try to clarify on the next episode if I need to do that. Um, and if you have any of other of those questions that are connected to that. Um, uh, you know what? Actually, just um, comment on my pin tweet. And, and, oh, and yeah. leave those there. And I'll, and I'll be able to find them. Don't, don't hit my DMs because I don't check my inbox very often. But... Um, <laughs> If you comment on my pin tweet, I'll definitely see that. And then, and then, uh, if, if, if there are any questions, anything I didn't clarify here that, that you would like clarified, um, because I know that this stuff can be very, very complex. And as soon as you start getting into Elena Kagan and administrative sort of stuff, um, <laughs> yeah, it becomes a problem. <laughs> so yeah, if there's anything in particular, just let me know. Um, and do you want to get to plugs? Uh, sure, you can find me on eight, uh, Ace underscore Chris on Twitter, uh, which is dying. Uh, right. Can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Ace Arcus on Blue Sky dot social, uh, Bisky B S K Y dot social. Um, you can find me on Substack at Ace Arcus uh, Ace dot com. All right, um, and I want to remind people if they haven't had a chance. Go read Ace's most recent Substack. Oh yes, thank you. It is. It is. It, it came out last week. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very, very good. Excellent, excellent work, and I recommend everybody go read that. And uh, so you can find that through the link to Ace's Substack on the uh, Connect section in the notes, uh, or in the description of the last episode. There's a direct link to it. So in in both of those cases, you will find it and enjoy it. I am sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, you, you can find me at uh, pacing Joska J O U S K A on Twitter and pacing Joska spelled the same dot bisky uh, b s k y dot social. Um, if you guys can get onto Blue Sky, this is the yeah. thing that's kind of interesting about this is like how many. Uh, I, I hate to bring up another topic as we're closing the show, but like no, how really many like- communities like ours, small though it may be are being sort of shattered by this Twitter thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it, that's, that's always the thing, right? Which is like, you know, um, you hope that everyone's going to be able to like migrate to the same space, but who knows who gets lost in, you know, the, the, um, uh, the ex, you know, the, um, just the travel between one like app to another. Do you know what I mean? Who gets yep. lost? Who? Yeah. That's yeah. always a weird thing to think about. Well, uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes, because I have a feeling this is a temporary issue, and once they solve I think so, whatever too. they broke, they'll, they'll probably yeah, fix I, it once they solve whatever they broke. Yeah, because if it's not temporary, like Elon says, then I have to imagine like all the advertisers would immediately pull out. I would if I was an advertiser. Like, oh, yeah. You mean, you, you, <laughs> you mean I'm paying? You mean I, I'm on here and I can't advertise? You just kill uh, the value of an ad spot on yeah. Twitter. Just destroyed it. It's absolutely insane. Um. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry. I brought up another topic, and now I'm all I'm all uh, in a tizzy. Um. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Right, later, guys. <laughs> Peace.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show. Yeah.